Welcome, Pewter Report readers, viewers, and listeners to a brand new edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius, the official energy drink of PewterReport.com. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We are back for another slate of Pewter Report podcast starting on this Monday, chock full of Bucks news and conversation. I'm your host, Matt Matera. Scott Reynolds is actually on vacation for the week. He's over in Colorado. You may have heard us talk about Colorado once or twice on the show. So joining me today is a very special guest, David Harrison from the Locked On Bucks podcast, also uh, Bucks Game Day, also covers the Washington Commanders who have been a little bit busy as of late as well with new ownership. So David, thank you so much for joining the show. How you doing, my man? Oh, I'm doing great, Matty. I appreciate you uh, inviting me onto the show. Yeah, absolutely. You've been kind enough to uh, have me on your show a couple of times. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to get you on the show uh, to kick things off this week. You're our, you're our leadoff hitter, which is, uh, which is good to see. <laughs> so uh, just want to say what up to everybody in the comments, the pewter people. Wayne says, go box football fan checking in saying hello as well. Shaggy saying pewter people do it better. So yeah, today's topic, we're going to talk about the box schedule, but more just how the national media in particular uh, are not fans of the Bucs going into this year. And I get it. Tom Brady's no longer there. There's a lot of change, new offensive coordinator. Um, but to say that things are looking bleak from the national media with their opinions of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, David, I think would be an understatement. Peter King had them ranked 31st yeah. out of uh, 32 teams. Um, the, the wins came out on NFL.com. They have the Bucs as 6.4 wins, which I don't even know how you get to that number because – you know, if you're betting, you do over under things like that. The if you wanted to bet over under six and a half wins for the Bucks. Um, so just right off the bat, want to get your thoughts. Um, do you agree with what the national media is saying? Do you see the Bucks taking a really big step back, or are the Bucks getting a little bit overlooked right now? Uh, I think the Buccaneers are getting a little overlooked right now. You know, I don't I don't know that 31st ranked in the in the National Football League is really kind of a fair assessment of of what's going on on the Buccaneers roster. I think, you know, when when you go through these exercises and and look at what teams have gained and, and what teams have lost through the offseason uh, and then, you know, on through the NFL draft and what they've added. I think a lot of times what people kind of lose sight of on the national uh, spectrum is how much cohesiveness and how much continuity really kind of matters and you know while the Buccaneers yes they're, they're losing Tom Brady and, and that's you hit the nail right on the head that's really what this is all about is that yes for the last three years the national media has given the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all kinds of love and shine and attention because Tom Brady was there well this is the Tom Brady hangover right I always say uh, on Lockdown Bucks that there's there's the dark side of the Brady effect like some of this is good and we've seen it a little bit in the all pro selection ballot we've seen it a little bit in the Pro Bowl selections uh, and things like that that you know, while Tom Brady is great and, and I don't want to undersell what Tom brought to the Buccaneers and, you know, the, obviously the Super Bowl is great and all those things. There's there's literally a, there's a there's a player on this roster that's year by year setting an NFL record that was previously owned by one of the greatest receivers to ever play this game that is getting zero burn on any national network, national platform or anything outside of Pewter Report in Tampa, Florida. Right. Like that's and to me, that's kind of the travesty of this entire situation. So. That's really what this is, is if you look at the NFL, it's kind of like a stock market. Nobody yeah. is going to come at Peter King 
in the in 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 December or any or NFL or Good Morning Football or anything like that in December, if the Buccaneers are a nine ten, you know, even an eight win team, no one's going to come to Cynthia Freeland and say, "Well, you predicted predicted six point four, Except for let's be honest, maybe local Tampa media and the national media, they're not really worried about that. So it's a good way for them to hedge their bets because once again, the Buccaneers are not getting as much attention as they they were with Tom Brady. Yeah, it's almost like going back to before Brady was here. And, you know, we'd be banging on the table saying Levante David should make the Pro Bowl. Levante David Mm -hmm. should be an all pro. And listen, I don't blame the national media for being like Tom Brady's not there. um, So therefore, they're not going to be a very good team. But I think we have to remember that before Brady got there, this Bucs roster was built to win like right away they were just a quarterback away and then they got said quarterback tom brady and we all saw how the last three seasons went but let's not kid ourselves things weren't good with tom brady last season i'm not specifically blaming tom brady i i blame byron leftwich more than anything else so now you bring in a new guy dave canales dave canales just came from seattle let's not forget when seattle traded russell wilson Everybody was going, oh, man, they're going to be the worst team in the NFC West. They're going to stink. They're they're, they're going to be in a struggle mode. What did Dave Canales do? And it's not all Dave Canales. Obviously, Pete Carroll's been a great coach for a long time. But he was in there. Geno Smith and Drew Locke were his two quarterbacks. Can you really tell me? And hindsight's twenty twenty now because you look at Geno Smith. You can't tell me that Baker Mayfield versus Kyle Trask is like crazy off from Geno Smith versus Drew Locke. I think with a new look offense, with more motion, with the QB waggle, with the rededication to the run game, this Bucks offense is going to be in a better spot than it was the year before. Most notably, and this goes for the whole roster, talking about the Bucks defense too, you have mostly the same guys in there. Yes, year in and yep. year out. You bring in, obviously, new draft picks. You bring in free agent signings, free agents leave as well. But you still very much have a core nucleus of Bucks players that were on that 2020 team, that were on the division-winning team in 2021, that have made the playoffs the last three years. So, again, I, I don't blame national media too much just in terms of they got to cover all 32 teams. They can't sit and watch every single practice, every single thing Todd Bowles has said and and Mike Evans yeah. and Chris Godwin across the board because, you know, I'll admit, looking at other teams like, I don't know, the Rams isn't a good example, but, you know, a team like the Colts, I'm not paying attention to the Colts all the time. So right. I see where the drop-off is with the national media. But, man, I mean, this team is going to be competitive regardless of who their quarterback is. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, there, there's a certain – I think there's a certain grace you have to give national media, right, for exactly all the things you just said. They're looking at 32 teams. And and let's yeah. be real, the NFL is looking for the next Tom Brady. They And they've been looking for the next Tom Brady going all the way back to – uh, you know, I don't know uh, how you were back when this was happening, but leading up to Super Bowl 55, I was getting a little annoyed about the Kansas City Chief Patrick Mahomes dynasty conversations. I'm like, this team has won one Super Bowl. This quarterback has won one Super Bowl. Don't get me wrong. Big Patrick Mahomes fan. I think that the yeah. future is super bright for this guy. But let's win two before we start talking dynasty. You know what I mean? Like, let's get, yeah. let's get multiple championships before we start going down this road of greatest team uh, potentially ever, ever constructed and, and all these other t- conversations. But the NFL needs their next goats. And Aaron Rodgers, as as Tom Brady was ushering himself out of his career, Aaron Rodgers, let's be honest, he's fallen apart a little bit, not just on the field. I mean, the Aaron Rodgers quarterback 
is still very good. Don't get me wrong, but he's not quite as scary as he usually uh, as he once was, you know, previous in previous years and earlier uh, in the decade and all those things. So they need that next top gun, that next face of the franchise, and they want desperately for it to be Patrick Mahomes. If it's not him, it could be Josh Allen. Maybe it's Justin Herbert. So they kind of need to shift the direction. And the best thing to do is to unseat the previous king. Well, if the kingdom he leaves still thrives, then was he really the king in the first place? Are you trying to dethrone the actual king? And I think that's part of this, too, is as much love as, as Tom Brady gets. And this is no blame of, of Tom Brady. This isn't his fault. He, yeah. you know, he draws the attention that he draws. So this isn't uh, anything negative towards Tom. But again, I think it's just kind of that negative side of the Brady effect. But like you said, Tom Brady last year, not the best version of Tom Brady that we've ever seen, uh, whether it was due to offensive line issues. I very largely, like you do, blame coaching. And I think every NFL fan should understand the value of coaching. I was actually just having this conversation with an Atlanta Falcons fan today, just happened to run in and we were, we started <laughs> talking ball, um, but coaching matters, right? Coaching absolutely matters. And Buccaneers fans have been through a lot of coaches between Super Bowls and should understand because you see the different dynamics that a lot of these coaches bring and the impact that it has on the team. But like you mentioned, this team is still full of, of, of talent. Chris Godwin's coming into his second season, coming off that ACL injury. And a lot of players that suffer ACL injuries will tell you that that first year back is really almost like a recovery process in and of itself. So this year is kind of Chris Godwin's second season. Hopefully we see a little bit more of a step forward in that progress. Ryan Jensen back on the field. Now he's basically in his first season since that yeah. injury. And granted, he didn't suffer a full tear of the ACL, but he had enough you know knee injuries to uh, to certainly make up for that. So he's kind of in that first year, but still his leadership, the, the emotional leadership that he brings, the left tackle position is now going to be figured out with Tristan Wirfs over to that side. And yeah, right tackle still a little bit of a question mark right now. But if you're going to have a tackle spot, be a question mark. You want it to be that right tackle spot because Baker Mayfield, look, hey, buddy, you may you just need to be under understanding under, under the understanding that you may have trouble coming from that side, but you should be able to trust uh, your left side. We'll see how Cody Malk does. We'll see how the rest of this offensive line really pans out. But I kind of agree with the way the Buccaneers seem to approach this offseason where the offensive line might be a little bit better than we've expected. And if Kalijah Kanzi can make uh, make an impact as a rookie, if Logan Hall can take a step forward, Shaquille Barrett's return uh, can have an impact. JTS hopefully makes some progress. I mean, look, if you're good in the trenches, right? And I'm going to steal, I steal this all the time from Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com. If you're good in the trenches, it's really hard to be a bad football team. Yeah. This team could <laughs> be very, very good in the trenches. And then they've got weapons on top of it. Kate Otten taking his, his, you know, coming into his second year, Payne Durham. I mean, it's rookie camp, right? But Payne Durham is already turning some heads. Mm-hmm. There's there's talent on this roster we had, Matt. You know that. I know that. We just hope Buccaneers fans kind of understand that and keep a little bit like keep keep a little bit of the excitement candle lit in the window. You know what I mean? Don't don't turn on you know the floodlights necessarily, but there there is hope here for a warm winter uh, come December. I think part of that why you should still be excited is because the NFC South is not the cream of the crop right. by any means. We could talk about that um, a little bit later. I kind of want to stick with the offense, and we'll talk a little bit about the defense as well. But I, I think you you said it very well in term in terms of just like the reworking of the offensive line. And you know, th- there are times that general managers or front office people will put on a bit of a poker face when they speak to the media, most notably like at the NFL Combine and, and things like that. Yeah. Jason Light, however was not putting on a poker face at all when speaking to the media, when he was like, yes, we want to get faster. And re- let's remember at the time uh, the Bucks were in salary cap hell. They eventually got mm-hmm. out of it, but a big part of it is because they're paying the Tom Brady credit card as people have uh, coined it. 
But he said, we're, we're going to have to find value. We're going to have to find value in free agency. We're going to have to find value through the draft. And they've done that to a T. I mean, whether it was re-signing Jamel Dean for less money than I think everybody expected. Uh, same yeah. thing with Levante David. Or how about, and this is what I want to ask about, the offensive line, finding Matt Filer, who's going to be their left guard. Yeah. I mean, the left side of the offensive line is going to be absolutely massive with Tristan Wirfs at left tackle <laughs> and Filer at left guard. The coaches have raved about him. And this is a guy with a ton of starting experience. Started with the Pittsburgh Steelers, also with the uh, with the Chargers as well, the Los Angeles Chargers. Almost said San Diego, but I didn't. The L.A. Chargers. Um, I do worry. I want to get your opinion on the right side of the offensive line or the O-line as a whole because I am a little bit concerned with the right side. I love the idea of Cody Mock starting at right guard. Uh, great personality, super fun. He's already won his press conferences when he spoke. Everyone in Tampa is in love with him. He looks just like Ryan Jensen. He's a great run blocker, but he struggles a little bit in pass blocking, just watching mm -hmm. his tape. You know, he's certainly not a perfect product. He's, he's a second-round pick for a reason. Yeah. And the Bucs just did the same thing last year, David. They drafted Luke Gedeke. He was an offense tackle. They kicked him inside, and it didn't work out. Let, let's, let's just be honest. It didn't work out with Luke Gedeke. Now, there's still a long way to go. He's only going into his second year. He's going to develop. Let's remember Alex Kappa, who just had a baby recently. Congrats to Alex Kappa. Yeah. Kappa didn't start right away. He, he right. had to grow and got into his own and then became who he is today. But I think starting with Mock, Mock right away, a little bit concerning to me. And then also get a key. I feel like we're putting way too many eggs in the basket of, well, we had one good half a start in week 18 against the Atlanta Falcons. I, am I crazy for saying that? Or do you think there's no. something a little bit to it? <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you. I, I was actually just kind of thinking earlier today. I was like, it's, it's like deja vu all over again, right? Like this time last year, we were talking about, can Luke Gedeke be someone that makes an impact yeah. on this <laughs> offensive line? And then going into training camp, it's like, every, you know, every time he steps on the field, you want to see him get that one-on-one -on rep, one -on -one rep, or even when it's O-linemen holding pads against O-linemen, you want to see how he looks and see what he's doing. Like, it's, it's just one of those things that it has to make you nervous just because you haven't seen this player be successful yet for this team. Uh, and, and there's two parts to this. One part is, obviously, whatever plan the Buccaneers had, like the war room conversations and the rookie camp and OTA and training camp conversations of, here's what we can do with Luke Gedeke, going all the way through the evaluation process onto the execution phase. It didn't work. It was wrong. I don't know who was wrong. I don't know which party of people were wrong, but someone or multiple someones were wrong about what the Buccaneers are going to be able to do with Luke Gedeke in his rookie season. Okay, it happens. Where I want to give the Buccaneers a little bit of credit is saying, okay, we were wrong. Now let's fix it. Now let's see what a different idea is. Because a lot of times teams will do this and they'll be wrong about a guy and they'll just say, okay, but we're wrong, but we're not wrong. He's just wrong. Hey, Luke, just do it better. And I think that's where Bucs fans really got frustrated last year because – you know, a lot, a lot of times you have these these five game winning drives by Tom Brady last year attributed towards the projected decline this year, because well, without Tom Brady's game winning drives, those five wins go away. That's where you put the Buccaneers now this year. That's why they're at the bottom of the league. And and while those dots seem to connect logically, uh, going back again to the, the first part of this conversation, the problem wasn't necessarily what the Buccaneers could do in those game winning drives that they don't have now. The problem is that they weren't doing those types of things throughout the game to begin with and then yeah and, and that comes down to the coordinator now with dave canales and listening to him talk and again you know the proof is in the pudding the proof is in the execution so we'll see what happens uh when the bullets are live but if you listen to dave canales talk now this is very much going to be an offense and a staff that says okay 
where do we think we can attack our, this opponent the best? Let's go do that. If it's not working, then we adjust. Or if for multiple weeks, this certain person isn't working in this position or in this scheme or in this methodology, then we switch up the mindset, right? And if that's what we see, then you have a chance. You have a fighting chance. So even if week one, Luke Gedeke comes out right tackle and gets completely murdered, okay, week two, we should see a little bit different, maybe some more help, maybe some more chip blocks, or maybe a new right tackle. I don't know. Yeah. But we should see an effort to change things. What we didn't see out of Byron Leftwich too much, obviously, last year was that in, that attempt to make things different until it was, well, oh, no, now the win-loss is on the line, and, hey, Tom, just here's the keys. I mean, because to be honest, like that's – Essentially, what I saw from this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team is for three and a half quarters, it's Byron's way. You know, bang your head against the wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's bang your head. James always says bang your head against the wall, hoping the pain will stop. Um, And I get that (laughs) Bruce Arians is more of a player's coach. So when Bruce Arians comes in and, you know, I had a Buccaneers player, now a former Buccaneers player, but tell me that when Tom came in under Bruce, it was Tom's way. You know what I mean? There was a there was a melding of minds, Sure. But it was Tom's way. And then Todd Bowles, much more of a coach's coach. So now it's more Byron than it is, you know, uh, than well, it's more Byron than it was before. I'll just put it that way. Um, and I think that's what we what we saw. And then in panic mode, oh, oh no, like I said, oh no, we're about to lose this thing. Hey, Tom, do your thing. That's great, but let's let Tom do his thing. And then, you know, there's some other layers, of course, to that conversation in certain games. Uh, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of time, but I think that overall, again, coaching matters, and we're going to keep kind of coming back to this. So if Dave Canales is the creative, Uh, type of offensive play caller that we believe him to be then some of those issues shouldn't necessarily repeat themselves over and over and again throughout the course of the season and with a young talented roster some young some talented you know uh, uh, the 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 way that those things disperse kind of tilt certain ways I will give good morning football some credit though Maddie today I think it was today they uh they picked Rashad White as one of their uh, fantasy running back breakout players. So I guess a little bit of Buccaneers yeah. love on the national media uh, landscape. <laughs> Finally. But that's, yeah, absolutely. But that's a guy that Dave Canales could potentially use to help impact these things. Um, you know, and then again, you bring in a receiver just today that has experience with this, with the coaching staff in Seattle and with what they're probably going to be doing. And that helps the learning curve as well. I always felt bad for the defense in terms of what you were talking about before with Brady, the comebacks at the end. And the reason why they're making these comebacks is because Brady's calling the plays at the line of scrimmage. It takes it out of Byron Leftwich's hands. But the defense like, hey, we're the ones that have kept you guys in the game the whole time. And then Brady gets all the the praise at the end. But I think with Canales, the in-game adjustments might be one of the biggest things that he is going to provide with this team. I mean, I remember his inaugural press conference in Tampa. He said, he called out specifically, it was a play in the NFC, it was a playoff game. I want to say the NFC championship game when the Seahawks played the Packers and they essentially won the game either late in the game or in overtime because they ran a play earlier. And he's like, Oh, when we run this, the safety moves in. So you could hit uh, the receiver. You could hit Lockett or whoever it was with the deep ball down the field. And they made that adjustment Canales call for it at the end of the game, and he uh, he came in and won it. So I, I think the adjustments right there with Canales might be the biggest thing that helps. And let's remember, like Leftwich, the the numbers came out that like the Bucks had one of the worst uh, like first quarter point scoring ratio in the league because Leftwich would either go with the script and then didn't know what to do after it. Um, so with Dave Canales, I think you're always going to see something a little bit different. You're going to see more motion. It just like Byron became predictable and he was 
mm-hmm. stubborn. Let's face it. He just was unwilling to change. And I think more than anything else, like you were talking about with if he gets destroyed at right tackle, well, they're either going to put someone else in or they're going to not run to his side or whatever it may be. <laughs> Rashad White, he's already talking about how Rashad's yeah. a violent runner. I think, you know, for example, I know Scotty Miller's not here anymore, but we'll see what Trey Palmer can do with that 4-3 speed, also wearing number 10. But it yeah. seems like they didn't even really bother to use like a jet sweep with Scotty Miller until late in the season when it didn't really matter at that point. Like I can see right. Trey Palmer just becoming an absolute weapon in this offense just on his speed alone. And you know what? Maybe he ends up becoming a decoy half the time because teams are like, hey, we have to account right. for his speed. But you know what? Yep. That's absolutely fine as long as you're moving the ball down the field. I don't think it's necessarily going to be like the 2021 type of uh, you know offense when – they're almost scoring like 30 points a game. But I think it's going right. to be a vast, vast uh, improvement from the year before. So let me ask you, just sticking on offense. I know we talked about the offensive line. Let's uh, let's shelf the Baker and Kyle Trask discussion for a little bit. But what else about mm-hmm. the offense, if anything, kind of either excites you going into this year, maybe something you're paying a little bit more attention to that just intrigues you. But uh, what about this offense has your interest? Yeah, I certainly, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what K. Dotton can do in, in year two. I think that the tight end position is something that in the NFL, I don't know that I necessarily get to the point where I say it's a mandatory thing. Like you have to have that great tight end. I know we look at the Kansas City Chiefs and you see Travis Kelsey. So you want to say, no, you have to have that great tight end. But there's there's good teams across the league that don't necessarily have that great tight end. But if you can have him, it certainly, certainly helps things, uh, especially when you've got some receivers on the perimeter that can do, them th- do some things if they get that one-on-one. Uh, matchup and, and kind of like we were talking about, you know, Trey Palmer or a player like that, or even a Russell Gage, if he can get back, stay healthy and, and, and produce, like doesn't necessarily have to have 10 catches a game to push that safety or push that slot defender back yeah. far enough to, to do some things that you can manipulate the defense for. Um, so that's certainly a player that you have to be excited about, but also Payne Durham and what he could potentially do as a, as a depth tight end uh, in this situation, again, not leaning on him as a first stringer by any means or a first year starter, but if he can produce uh, just a little bit of athleticism on the field and threaten the defense. That's really what it's all about is making the defense defend all of your skill players and not leave a guy, you know, on the three point line to mix sports here in the NBA. Sorry for anybody who doesn't watch basketball and doesn't understand that. Um, but, you know, obviously I'm, I'm a huge I'm a huge Rashad White supporter. I've made no no secret uh, of that throughout the draft process last year. I wanted Rashad White to either go to the Bucs or go to the Commanders because I'm selfish. I'm a Sun Devil. I wanted to cover him. So when he went to the Buccaneers, that. that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a I'm an I'm an Arizona State alum. It's, it's kind of hard up. to see that, but yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, obviously, I'm I'm excited for that, but the excitement is 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 rewarded by the fact that I don't have to be unbiased and being excited about his skill because he's shown it. So I can still be honest and have my integrity in check and say that there's a lot of excitement there. Yeah. I did want to see the Buccaneers do a little bit more uh, in the depth, and I know there's the reports with Zeke, and uh, I was going to ask you about that out. actually. Yeah, I've floated out Dalvin Cook as as. Uh, you know, with with all the rumors going around about him being released. And, uh, you know, I don't know that Dalvin is really I think Dalvin's more interesting than he is realistic. But, yeah, I yeah. mean, we can talk Zeke if you want to. I just I thought that the Buccaneers would do a little bit more, not because Rashad White isn't, in my opinion, ready to be a, a number one back, but because there's really not a lot of NFL systems that rely on one guy today for multiple reasons. One, keeping guys healthy, but two, also the, the attrition at that position you want to have. I, I would think you would want to have multiple guys that if you had to say we need 20 carries from this guy we still feel okay and right now when i look at this roster outside rashad white 
If you tell me that the Buccaneers have to feed this running back, whether it's Chase, Keyshawn, anybody, 20 times, I don't feel good about that. Yeah, there is something a little bit more to be desired in the Bucks running back room. And sure, Rashad White's going to be the guy. He won't personally say it, but I will say it. He's going to be <laughs> RB1 for this team. But even, even in today's NFL, you're not going to have just that bell cow type of running back. It's just it's unheard of anymore. You're going to get too banged up too early. Yeah. Um, the only reason I don't love the idea of Zeke coming to the Bucs. One, I thought he's going to be too expensive, but now mm -hmm. it seems like Zeke kind of just wants a home, which I don't necessarily yeah. blame him. With that said, you know, you released Leonard Fournette. Now you're kind of bringing in another guy with a big name, with a big ego. I don't think he's harmful to the team by any yeah. means, but, you know, he's got the cockiness. He does the serial thing. <laughs> I would kind of let Rashad, let Rashad White be the guy. Let him yeah. be the guy. But I hear you. Behind him, I know the Bucs are, like, pretty high on Keyshawn Vaughn. Mm. I don't necessarily see it. And, but to, mm. his, to his point, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn started that game against the Eagles in the postseason in 2021. And – was formidable. He was serviceable, I guess right. I should say. Uh, but, yeah, I don't love the idea of him as RB2. Chase Edmonds, obviously an experienced player, uh, a veteran player, doesn't do too much for me. I think really the big uh, the big uh, scenario that the Bucks are looking at is Sean Tucker, the undrafted mm -hmm. free agent out of Syracuse. Um, unfortunately, he had a heart condition. Uh, but he was out there at practice on, on Saturdays, rocking number 44. At least he was he was in attendance for it. I think if he's healthy and he's able to go with his talent, with his skill set, he could end up being a player that doesn't just make the roster, but could compete for RB2. I'm pretty serious about that. And any anyone knows that that's watched the Bucks, they know how to find a diamond in the rough with undrafted free agents. Cam Bray, Demar Dotson. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been a couple of guys, but when you hear Skip Pete, the running backs coach saying, yeah, I don't know if Zeke's a, uh, a good fit here in Tampa. Um, I think, I think that's pretty telling. I, I like Zeke. I hope he finds a place in this league. I just, I don't know. I don't really want it in Tampa Bay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause like you said, big personality, ego, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's just, it's one of the, I mean, Skip Pete said it best. Like if you can, can accept that role, right. Whether it's second back, third back, stuff like that, if you can accept that role, then great. But yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, the tone wasn't exactly like, oh yeah, Zeke is ready to be a backup. So he'll, he'll come on down to Tampa. It's more, the tone of it was more like, eh, this guy's not really ready to accept that type of scenario yet. And, and, you know, that's, that's really the bottom line to this thing. Like you can have all the ability to contribute at the end of the day that you want, but if you're not willing to accept the role that the team is asking you to contribute within, then it's not going to be successful. And that's why he's not in Dallas. And, and that's why, like you said, if there's, if there's a reason that it doesn't happen for him coming to Tampa, it's going to be that reason uh, alone, because you, you can't have this quarterback uncertainty, which, you know, whether the, the quarterback is decided during camp preseason or whenever it's decided and announced at, at the end of the day, we're going to be talking all week of, you know, week one to, to week 18 is, is this quarterback now the right guy for the Buccaneers yeah. moving into the future beyond 2023. That's just going to be the scenario. So if you throw in, you know, player controversy or sub tweets or, you know, shady comments in the locker room after a loss, like you can't have those things in a scenario like this. And, and you know, I, I'm an Ohio State fan because I was raised that way by my father who grew up outside of Columbus, Ohio. But Zeke doesn't necessarily fit that kind of harmonious uh, bill. So, 
you know, you don't want to bring that in and invite it in. But again, if he's humbled himself and calls coach, coach Pete up and says, Hey coach, I heard what you said. I'm ready to be that guy. And, and coach gives him a blessing. Cause that's, I think that's the thing. Like if, if Zeke, let's just say if Zeke does come to the Buccaneers, it, it went through coach, coach Pete, right. It went through skip Pete. Like that's going to be sure. something that happens here. So if he blesses off on it, I will uh, obviously defer to the NFL running backs coach uh, to make that decision versus myself. But yeah, for all the same reasons, you said I don't. I don't know that it's really a fit, and uh, uh, you know Dalvin, uh, same thing. I think he's he's looking for a contender. I think Buffalo is kind of the rumored uh, position for him. Play but I know brother. a lot of yeah. yeah, exactly. I know a lot of Seminoles fans that are Bucks fans would love to see it happen because they wanted to see it happen when he came out of college in the first place. It's funny. There was a time a couple seasons ago where if there was any big name player, they were coming to the big big name yeah. in terms of like status. You know, whether it was Gronk, Lashawn McCoy, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, Zeke would have perfectly uh, gone into that category as well. Uh, let's get to a couple of uh, Peter Peoples' comments. Callie Buck says, "Goat Mike Evans." Yeah, I would agree. He's the greatest offensive player of all time in uh, in team history. Lee Devin Green says, uh, "The disrespect is real." Talking about teams sliding uh, or national media sliding the Bucks. Uh, Grace Point says, "We will never be special in the eyes of the national media cult. Only mm -hmm. the Cowboys or Steelers or Chiefs or the Yankees or the Dodgers." Or the Lakers or the Celtics. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a Lakers Celtics NBA Finals. Getting back to, uh, I wouldn't be shocked, but I would be. I'm a Nuggets fan, so I would be very disappointed. Ah, you know I mean, wouldn't be shocked I, at all. Yeah. Off topic, real quick. I love watching the Joker. I mean, it's just incredible yeah. what he does. Like, gets a triple double every single game. It's, it's yeah. unbelievable. He um, never Tony, changes his uh, his his facial features. Yeah, and then fights the owners of the opponent. <laughs> um, Tony says, still have the talent, but with questionable coaching, talent is wasted see last year so yeah let's talk about Todd Bowles real quick then we'll then we'll mm -hmm. get to the quarterback competition and um then focus on the defense um going into this year is Todd Bowles on the hot seat or is it if they struggle out the gate then it kind of gets turned up a little bit how do you feel about this going to this year because it's very odd you can make a case for Todd Bowles and oh he didn't get yeah. the head coaching job until late in the process last year this is his first full year like bringing in his own coaches, tailoring the team to how he really wants to do it. Um, so how do you see it? Yeah, I think when you start the year, you know, I think that seat's got to be room temperature. And then let's just see how this thing develops. And and, and I think context has to matter uh, in this situation. And I hope for the Glazers, the context certainly matters. I mean, if you come out here and, you know, let's knock on wood, this isn't the scenario, but uh, I watched Ryan Fitzpatrick go down to the first quarter of his his time with the Washington Commanders where he had the best roster he'd ever played for. Uh, as a starter, that's you know that's a little bit debatable, but that's kind of the the storyline that was going on around DC. And yeah, less than a quarter into his time, you know he's he's out with a with a season ending injury. Ultimately, ended up being the last snap he took in the NFL. So if your starting quarterback goes down to a season ending injury in the first quarter of the regular season, and you're left with your backup who shows you that he's a backup for a reason, you know, can, how much do you blame the head coach for that? How much do you blame the offense coordinator for all those things? And again, so that context kind of matters now. If this thing just completely falls apart, like if nobody's getting utilized properly, if nothing really makes sense, if all the moves that they decided to make, the draft picks don't pan out, then yeah, I think you could see kind of a clean sweep uh, coming into 2024. But I think I would I would personally say that I think things have to go pretty, pretty badly for that to happen. But really, this is all right. I mean, Todd Bowles, honestly, it rides on Dave Canales and it rides on yes. Todd Bowles' investment in Dave Canales because the reason 
that I don't like head coaches being coordinators, and 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 that's what Todd Bowles is here, is because you're coordinating your defense, you're adjusting your defense throughout the game. You can't be hands-on with your offense. Maybe here and there, maybe at halftime, but you really can't be that hands-on with your offense. So this is where the Byron Leftwich situation really got bad for the Buccaneers last year. There's nobody really to rein in your offensive coordinator. So if your OC is lost, you're just lost. You know what I mean? And, and you have your next weeks of meetings and, and tape review to try and fix it. But in action, you're just done. Like you're, there's just not a lot you can do because your head coach is so focused on this other side of the ball. Because, I mean, the Buccaneers had the 13th ranked scoring defense last year, uh, according to Pro Football Reference. And if I remember correctly, Aaron Rodgers won Super Bowl win with the Green Bay Packers. They had the 15th ranked scoring defense that year. So I'm not saying this was a Super Bowl caliber defense last year per se. But it's a defense. Can you say it's a defense that you could have made a deeper run in the playoffs with? Yeah, absolutely. You can make that point. I think you made that point earlier. The problem is you had the 25th ranked scoring offense in the NFL. Again, if your head coach is worried about the defense, you know, the entire time you're on the field, it's hard to really, you know, control those those situations. So for Todd Bowles, you're hitching your future here uh, to Dave Canales. And that's that's pretty bold given the, the circumstances that they're in. And I think you saw last year a couple of occasions where the in-game management wasn't there for Todd Bowles. And I'm not saying it's specifically because he was focusing on something on the defense, but that was a big thing last year. Like, remember the Cleveland game? They ran a stupid screen on the first play, didn't call a timeout. Then they hit the big play, Tom Brady to Julio on the next one. And it's like, well, if you had more time calling a timeout to begin with, I think that was a glaring issue, that play specifically. Um, the Packers game, you know, the whole thing with the two-point conversion, and mm-hmm. they almost didn't even get the playoff in time, and then they got the delay of game. And it's like, what was going on there? You know, that definitely, without question, could have been uh, handled so, so much yeah. better. So I definitely do think there um, there is something to it. That's why I always thought it was silly as well when people were like, oh, the Bucs should draft Will Levis or Anthony Richardson or some of those guys because – if you're drafting a quarterback in the first round or second round, you're kind of waving the white flag and being like, we're preparing for the future already. And if that's the case, then unless Todd Bowles has a handshake agreement with the Glazers being like, regardless of what happens, you're going to be here next year. Then, okay, we can kind of reset now instead of prolonging it one year. But I don't think Todd Bowles will sign up for that. Yeah. I'll be a part of the, the, uh, the rebuild. And then you guys can can me when, you, yeah. you find the, the the proper coach that you really want to get. So um, I never thought I never thought drafting a quarterback would really be a good idea. I think what's most important for Todd Bowles is just you have to be trending in the right direction towards the end of the year. If you go eight and nine again, or maybe you get to nine and eight this time, that's fine. That's okay. At least you're trending in the right direction. Don't start out five and one, and then you trip and fall at the end, and that's just. You know, you, you kind of run out of gas at the end. I do not think that's how the Bucks can uh, can move on with Todd Bowles in that situation. Has to yeah, be oh, I think I think you have to earn. You know, get the games that you deserve. I, I think that's that's kind of one way to put it. Right? I think you, when you look at the Buccaneers eight and nine, we can look throughout the season and say that there were games where this team could have been a ten win team, maybe even could have been an eleven win team, but they basically wasted away their opportunities. You mentioned Cleveland. You mentioned Green Bay. Those are those are two uh, specific situations like you ha- go out there and, and you, the, the wins you have, make sure that they're good wins. The, the losses that you have. OK, if we earn those losses. If we just weren't the better team, 
but look, we're a right mm-hmm. side of the offensive line away, or we're, you know, a, a linebacker away, maybe, I don't know, maybe, you know, whatever we are away from making this thing really click. There's got to be a vision for the future. It can't just be, okay, well, let's just try it again and see how this moves forward, which I think really makes the Baker Mayfield signing a little bit underrated. And, and I'll be fully honest, like James on Locked on Bucks was, was on the Baker Mayfield train way before I was. Like yeah. He was like, Baker Mayfield is a good idea to bring in to this team. I was kind of like, no, nah, no, nah, let's let's stay away from from Baker Mayfield. I was kind of like, let's go with the young guys. Let's go like Drew Locke, Hendon Hooker, and you know, and and a little bit more kind of what you're saying. Like, let's just kind of, for lack of a better term, let's let's flick some boogers on the wall and see what sticks. But <laughs> Baker Mayfield is someone. If you go back to the time where he was traded from Cleveland to the Carolina Panthers, the Seattle Seahawks wanted him. Well, Dave Canales again, quarterbacks coach, part of the passing game situation there in Seattle. There has to have been a plan. Like, if you're going to pursue a quarterback, teams don't just pursue quarterbacks and say, okay. Let's see if we can get him. Then let's figure out how to play with our new toy. No, right. they say, dude, like Baker can do this for us. He can do that. He can do this. He can do all these steps for us if we can just get him in the building. Dave Canales was a part of that, you know, pre-planning period for the Seattle Seahawks going after Baker Mayfield. They didn't get him. We know that Bruce Arians has an affinity for, for Baker Mayfield. He obviously had some ideas of what Baker Mayfield could be capable of. Dave Canales obviously had some ideas from his time in Seattle of what Baker Mayfield could do. So, while this is a new relationship, this idea of Baker Mayfield with this coaching staff is not a new idea. And this is this is something that they actually have a little bit of a head start as far as like, how do we want to envision this whole thing going forward? Because, again, I, I know what the team is saying, but I think most of us, right, it's Baker Mayfield's QB1. So, you know, that idea of what the Baker Mayfield offense could look like is not a new idea necessarily. My question with Baker is, can you truly shake off everything that has happened. You know what I mean? Because it's one thing to say like, Oh, it's a new day. It's a new time. It's a new opportunity. Yeah. Da, da, da. But we're all human, man. I mean, you know, nobody likes getting fired. Nobody gets, you know, nobody likes their reputation being tarnished. All of those things. It's okay to have a chip on your shoulder. As long as that chip doesn't drive you, it's just part of what inspires you. Yeah. That's the big question with Baker. Are you getting the Baker that, um, you know, led the Browns to the playoffs and they smoked the Steelers yeah. and almost beat the chiefs that year when the chiefs went on to win the, Super Bowl, or are you getting the Carolina Panthers, uh, Baker Mayfield, that obviously did not work out and then saw him going to Los Angeles? So, yeah, I was going to ask you about the quarterback competition, how you see it with Baker Mayfield against Kyle Trask. But first, I'm a little bit behind schedule here. I apologize, Peter People. On every Monday, we like to do a little thing with the fans called Roll Call, baby. We have awesome fans from all over the globe really both in the united states and international and on monday we like to do a little roll call we just have everybody in the comments uh let us know where you are watching from and we will uh put it up on the screen where you're watching the pewter report podcast uh at your location so while that's going on david i just want to ask you how you see the uh bucks quarterback competition panning out you already alluded to you think baker is going to be the guy um but should baker be starting from day one should they already anoint him as the starter or should kyle trask at least get an opportunity because he's been here for a couple of seasons i mean i think baker mayville should be the guy going into ota you know when you see the veterans on the practice field for the first time baker should be the guy getting the reps with the ones and and you know at, at this time, you know, not Dave Canales, right, but everybody else that's been on this coaching staff since since Kyle Trask came in, Todd Bowles specifically, like Jason Light, like you know what you have in Kyle Trask. This team knows, you know, whether or not there's the makings of a franchise leader or there's not the makings of a franchise leader. Um, something that I really liked about what this franchise started selling when when Bruce Arians and this entire crew 
uh, kind of came in was your your draft position, your salary doesn't matter. What you put on the field matters. So with that spirit in mind, if these if the people who have been around Kyle Trask believe that yes, he could be this franchise's leader, well, that's fair, fair enough. Like so, then let's make this uh, a fair and equitable competition. So that's what I would expect. You know, that's kind of the message I would draw from this. If we see Baker and Kyle splitting reps, is that there are people in the Buccaneers building that truly believe that Kyle Trask could be the leader for this franchise going forward. But if you don't, if you've seen Kyle on the practice field in the meetings and all these other things, and you're sitting there saying, you know what, he's a good backup. Like this probably his ceiling is a good backup. Baker Mayfield's a former, you know, a number one overall pick, uh, franchise leading quarterback, Brown's first playoff win and, and pretty much forever, all those great things. He's got the experience. Bruce Arians liked him going way back to when he came back out of, uh, out of retirement in the first place. Again, Dave Canales and the Seattle Seahawks wanted him. So there is this, this connection here and this, this intention of, I know what I can make out of this guy uh, coming into the situation. If we know that we want Baker Mayfield to be the starting quarterback coming into the season, let's just do this. You know what I mean? Let's not yeah. play this game and let's not, you know, make it look good for everybody. No, it was a fair competition. It was a battle. No, like cut all that out because while you're doing that and you're giving Kyle Trask these, the I'll call them fake number one reps. Well, those are reps that Baker Mayfield couldn't be getting with with the weapons he's going to be playing with. So again, if if there's a true belief inside the building that Kyle Trask could be the guy, absolutely make it an open competition. But if we're just doing it for the aesthetics of it and to keep everybody on their toes or something, uh, let, let's cut out the games and let's just get down to business and, and put this offense together. I do respect what Dave Canales had to say when he was going back to uh, you know Seattle and he was saying that. You had Gino in Gino's situation, Drew Locke, who came in struggling. He said, I didn't want to anoint a starter because it kind of messes with their heads a little bit, where if you're the number two, you go in preparing like yeah. I'm a backup. But if you go in expecting to be the starter, I think that uh, that really goes a long way, and it only helps the competition. So I get what Canales is doing there with, with Mayfield and Trask. It does very much feel like it's Baker Mayfield's job to lose and the only way i see him losing it because like let's let's be realistic about it baker likes to move the ball down the field uh there's going to be a couple more of those splash plays and you'll get with kyle trask who is a little bit more conservative protecting the ball and the argument's always been well trask never got to work with mike evans and chris godwin and he had all this great talent in florida so if you give him great talent with the bucks and it should work out and I would counter that with, well, he's already been here for two years. So what are you not seeing? Um, yeah. Or like, what what have you seen that he hasn't, you know, really projected just, yeah. I mean, he's going from third string quarterback to potentially being the starter. You don't usually see <laughs> that big of a jump. The only thing that would concern me for Baker is if he comes in like, you know, Brett Favre in the Wrangler commercials, just chucking it everywhere. And he ends up throwing like four or five picks in, in uh. the first practice because Really holding on to the ball is the name of the game for this Bucks offense. You've heard Dave yeah. Canales talk about it. You've heard a lot of the other offensive coaches talk about it. You have to protect the football. And if Baker is just a turnover machine early on, that can really open the door for Kyle Trask. But, yeah. you know, Baker still has to get chemistry with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And in an odd way, because Canales is here, it's a new offensive system, everybody's learning it. Baker almost has an advantage because he was with the Rams last year. And some of that offense is similar to what Dave Canales uh, wants to be running here with the box and what he was doing in Seattle. So in an odd way, Baker kind of um, already has that leg up and he comes in. Yeah. Apparently he's great with the, with the other players already from what Dave Canales has said. So it does feel like it's Baker's job to lose. There is just a clear path of 
how he can um, how he can mess it up if if that's what it comes to. I want to get into the defense. We spent a lot of time on the defensive side. Defense win championships. We know that's uh, Scott Reynolds' favorite side of the football. Um, yeah. But we also know Scott's favorite energy drink is Celsius energy drinks. right make celsius your number one pick when you are drinking an energy drink um no sugar no uh post energy drink jitters or you know shakes or anything like that any crash that you get with other products out there it's absolutely delicious so many great different flavors you see the oasis vibe that's one of their newest flavors the sparkling lemon lime sparkling orange can't go wrong with any of them i'm a huge fan of the arctic vibe as well that's my Number one favorite. Um, if you want to know where to get a Celsius energy drink, go to the store locator on the Celsius website, punch in your address, and it will accurately show you the closest place where you could pick up a Celsius, whether it's your Walmart, Target, 7-Eleven, or your bodega. Go to your local bodega, pick up a Celsius now, and uh, enjoy Celsius energy drink, the official sponsor of the Peter Report podcast. All right, David, let's get on to the defensive side of the football. Um, obviously, the big stuff during this offseason, Jamel Dean returned. So you got uh, Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean over at corner. Levante David's back. Uh, but then there's another situation at inside linebacker with Devin White. Do you see it as a distraction for the Bucs going into this year? Because I, I think the reality is Devin's going to come back at some point in this offseason. He probably won't be at OTAs, maybe not even mandatory minicamp. But by training camp, he's going to be there because he has no leverage. He has no bargaining chip in all of this. But because he's a team captain, we know what he means to this team. Uh, do you foresee it being a problem at all? I, I'm going to say I don't. You know, and, and I really hope that that I'm right, because I think at the end of the day, like, you know, kind of like Coach Foote said, like, this is really about money and Devin's not the first. He's, yeah, champagne problems. He's not going to be the last. And that's true. You know, and, and I think sometimes that the closer you are to that, uh, you can kind of lose sight. I think this might be where the national media maybe is getting it a little bit better than 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 those of us that are local and Bucks fans, because, you know, We've we've watched Devin go from you know rumored top five overall pick to confirmed top five overall pick, and then you know the Super Bowl run and the electricity and the energy. But then you have the loafing and you have the making yeah. fun of Jameis and the Instagram live of the conflict between he and Chris, right. Chris Godwin. And you know what I mean? Like it's just been a very like there's there's been a very steep climb to the peak, and then it's been a very uh, steep decline. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of emotion attached to this thing, but. You know, they're, they're not wrong. Like, this isn't the first time that this has happened. It's not going to be the last time it's going to happen. And in the age of social media, it's only going to continue to become more and more public. I mean, we saw Darius Slay literally say goodbye to the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> and their fan base. And then, boom, get an extension done. You know what I mean? Um, I think, you know, Devin White has probably gotten the message. You know, I think anything Jason Light says about a player to us or to, you know, to NFL Network or wherever they happen to be making their appearance, 
they've already said to the player. I think that this this front office is, does a really good job of making sure that anything that is said in public is not a surprise to the player when it's pertaining to a specific person. So Devin isn't hearing anything for the first time when we are hearing things for the first time, so to speak. Um, and I think that Instagram posts, the, the most latest one, you know, and I hate that we have to kind of read between the lines of these kinds of things, but it's where we are. I think that kind of shows that Devin, while he probably still isn't appreciative of the fact that he's coming in here without a safety net, you know, on an expiring yeah. contract, that he understands. And he understands where he is. And the resolve is now to, I'm going to show you why you need to pay me. Um, and then my agent's going to come in at the end of the season and say, hey, you 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 levied these challenges. He he met them. So now it's time to to pay up and put your money where your mouth is. Um, and, and to me, that means that Devin will be you know at the mandatory minicamp. I'll go as far as to say I believe that he will be. If he isn't, then this topic will come up. But to get into the season, I think once once the season is here, I, I think it's going to be all about business. It's going to be all about ball and all about getting together and doing what they're going to do. And, and at the end of the day, Devin White hangs his hat on being a guy that his guys can rely on. His teammates know inside and out. Remember the Super Bowl uh, comment by Todd Bowles early in the season last year? I think it was following the Pittsburgh Steelers loss, and he was kind of asked about some of these things going on through the season. Land. He said, these yeah. guys know who I am. These guys know what I'm about. They know who I am. That's who I'm worried about. I think that mentality carries into training camp in the season. And I think, you know, by week three or four, this is a non-story. Yeah, I always felt that I, I respect Devin for what he wants to do. And for him believing in himself, thinking that he's a $20 million a year type of inside linebacker. Do I think yeah. that? No, I think he's a good wide, a good inside linebacker. I think what he's getting paid is very fair for what Devin White's getting paid at the moment. I'm, I don't think he's a $20 million guy, but if he thinks he is, then go out and prove it. And that's the exact situation that he finds himself in, whether he resigns with the box or goes to a new team in free agency after this year. I don't see it being a distraction specifically because this team has seen a lot crazier, more distracting stuff than a player unhappy with the contract. I mean, we all know the Antonio Brown thing in the Jets game <laughs> two seasons ago. Uh, we all know um, Tom Brady missing like 10 days of practice with everything going on in his personal life. Bruce Arians kind of retired out of the blue. No one saw that coming. So this team has dealt with a lot more difficult things than just a player's unhappy and doesn't think he's getting paid enough. So that I don't yeah. see being too much of an issue. Um, and if, if it all sorts out with Devin White, I think this defense can do a lot of good things this year. Because in many mm -hmm. aspects, while the defense kept the Bucs in games, let's not forget that, I don't even think they really – played up to their ability and their level. Right. I mean, outside linebackers, the edge rushers, and sure, a lot of it was Shaq Barrett got injured. There's a lot more to be desired from the edge rushers. Um, safety, you know, who's now they bring in Ryan Neal. That's, is it an upgrade? Is, can they get the same type of quality that Logan Ryan gave them when he was there? It, can Ryan Neal be that guy? Um, a lot of interesting parts here. Antoine Winfield Jr. moving back to, free safety. And then of course the defensive line. So let me just ask you, right. obviously the Bucs spent a lot of capital in the draft on the defensive side of the ball, starting with first round pick Kalijah Kansi. Uh, just tell me your thoughts about that pick overall and uh, how he'll impact the defensive line. Yeah. I think that this is a guy who could, who could really help impact the overall pass rush because I think early on in the season, you're, you're, well, if he explodes in the preseason, I think 
right, right from week one, we're going to see teams understand they have to kind of plan for this guy. But if it doesn't happen in preseason, the explosion doesn't come because one limited reps, but two also limited, you know, looks and, and all these other things. Um, I think that Klaja Kansi is a guy that with his speed and kind of his ability to really impact the, the defensive line against the, the opponent's offensive line. What I'm hoping we're going to see is a is opposing offensive lines have to account for him. They have to account for Vita Vea. And really, while obviously you love the fact that Shaquille Barrett is coming back, I'm really kind of hoping that this almost opens things up a little bit better for Joe Tryon and Shohinka, kind of that trickle-down economic situation where Vita's getting his looks, Kalijah's obviously getting his looks, Shaq Barrett, obviously every offense is going to know where he's lined up. So now, Joe, like you have like you have the ultimate in, in favorable matchups because offenses really can't afford. They've just got to look at maybe their their running back or their tight end a chip or their their inexperienced right tackle or whoever it is, depending on your alignment, to say, look, you're just gonna have to handle this dude by yourself. And this is an opportunity for Joe Tryon Schwenka to take a bigger step maybe in the stat box than he does from a development standpoint. But at the end of the day, the Buccaneers defense, they're just caring about production. So look, you can get 13, 14 sacks and yeah, maybe inside the building, we know it's really because of Kalijah, Vita and Shaq on the other side and on the defensive line. But at the end of the day, we don't care, bro. We just want the 13, 14 sacks. Let's go get it. uh, However we need to. And then Greg Gaines too. I mean, another veteran addition, uh, I think is someone that's important and Logan Hall coming off the bench. Like, I think that's pretty much what we all expect. That is is an upgrade to depth uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, the Bucks' bread and butter on defense has always been stopping the run. And I think that took mm-hmm. a little bit of a step back last season. Yeah. But you look at the schedule for Tampa Bay starting out this year. I mean, it is really tough in terms of stopping the run. I mean, the Vikings, you talk about Cook <laughs> coming to the, the Bucks potentially. But like that with mm-hmm. Cook in Minnesota, Chicago's difficult with, with the quarterback. Same thing. With the Eagles, if Jalen Hurts gets loose, we know what yeah. the Saints can do. And then, you know, you look at the Lions and Falcons after the bye week, they both drafted running backs in the first round, Jameer Gibbs with uh, with Detroit, and then obviously B. John Robinson. So the Bucks have to be ready. Ready or not, teams are going to run against them to begin yeah. the year. And so if they get back to that defense that they were in 2020 and 2021 with stopping the run, I mean, that's going to set them a long way to, uh, you know, establish the tone for just the whole season. And to, hopefully they get back to the point where teams just refuse to run against them and they they elect for those uh, you know short, choppy passes and that type of stuff. I do think when it comes to th- – there's a couple of players that the Bucs are hoping takes the next step. I think JTS for sure is one of them. Logan Hall as well. But I thought it was very telling when Casey Rogers, the co-defensive coordinator, the D-line coach, said, yeah, part of that's on me. I, we just – we didn't play him enough. And maybe that's just because of the guys in front of him with uh, with Will Golson, who was on the team, not on the team right now, but I also wouldn't be shocked if he ends up re-signing. But I think just getting Logan Hall more reps will will go a very long way. I also don't think Vita Vey is going to lead the team in sacks again this year, which is crazy thinking that it felt like a down year in terms of sacks for the Bucs, but they were still like top 10 in the NFL. Like they yeah. still were able to get after the quarterback. Um, and Todd Bowles always dials up all of these things. Uh, the last thing I'll ask you about the Bucks defense we covered, you know, linebacker edge rusher to a degree, actually two things. Uh, but I'll start with this. Antoine Woodfield Jr. Moving back to free safety. What does that do for Tampa Bay? They, I know they need to figure out nickel, but yeah. I don't know. I think Antoine at free safety is going to be a much bigger subtle move than I think people realize. Just letting him go back to his natural position that he was at uh, in 2020. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's I think that's big. And I think the key is, like you said, figuring out that nickel position and keeping him there. Right. And allowing him to kind of focus on doing what it is that he does best. And when you talk about the opponents potentially this season being able to run on the Buccaneers potentially a little bit more than like to see again, Kalaja Kansi, you know, certainly projects as, as a much better pass rusher type than a run stopper. Yaya Diaby is similar. Servasi Dennis is is, quote unquote, a little bit undersized. We'll see how that really translates onto the field. All these other things like if. If teams can run the ball a little bit more, right? Like to a defense, you obviously you would love to be great at just kind of one thing, whether that's getting to the quarterback seventy times like the Philadelphia Eagles, or everybody just abandoning the run from snap number one against you, like the Buccaneers' rush defense a couple of years ago. But at the end of the day, you really want to be, I think, solid against everything. Which you know we know solid is the NFL word for average. You want to be good against everything, and then really great at taking advantage of teams' mistakes and. You want to drag out those possessions. So, you know, if, if NFL teams run for 125, 130 yards per game against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the key is going to be they're not getting them in chunk plays. You're not giving up more than, say, two or three chunk runs, uh, explosive runs per game, because if that's the case, then, yeah, they might get the yards, but the yards per carry are going to be kept low and the drives are going to be extended. And when those mistakes come, that's where a guy like Antoine Winfield Jr., if he's playing center field or just has some depth, or has some room to read what's happening in front of him and read the quarterback, that's where a guy like Antoine Winfield Jr. can really impact this defense. And it's harder to do that when you're up on the line of scrimmage covering drag routes or covering you know short zones and all this other stuff. So having him back there, using that football IQ, using that confidence, that click and close ability to try to make plays on the ball, if you give up some more running yards, give up 20 more rushing yards per game than you like to, but you also generate, say, a turnover per game, that, that would be great. Um, because of it, the the trade-off is going to be worth it. Absolutely. I'm very excited for Antoine Winfield Jr., what he's going to do this year. I lied. I actually have two more questions. The first one, though, um, the rookie draft class, again, a lot more mm-hmm. uh, defensive guys. Anyone in particular you're most excited about what they're going to do in this Tampa Bay defense? Uh, Servasio Dennis, honestly, was my favorite pick. That uh, was my guy, group. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just through the draft process, he's a guy that – I found myself mocking him to both the commanders and the Buccaneers. He's kind of like my Rashad White this year. I was like, I just want somebody to draft this guy because I like the energy. The leadership is also there. But if you watch him on on tape, and and you know, I, I say tape, but really it's YouTube. If you look up games, right? I mean, highlight reels are great, but look up games. Even when he's not necessarily making the play, I mean, the football IQ that this guy appears to have, you know, at the collegiate level is, is just is just amazing. And I think that if that can get turned into production on the field, I know that there's some dings against him on like his pass coverage ability. I think he's better in pass coverage than people uh, maybe give him credit for. Maybe I'm just kind of hoping it into existence. But if Servassier can be a guy that can be physical, which I know he can be physical. I saw him uh, put a lick on a kid uh, that was wearing a Syracuse uniform that that kid probably wishing he he wasn't wearing a Syracuse uniform uh, in that game. Um, This guy can certainly put put a lick on a guy. But if he can get better in coverage, if that football IQ can really kind of show up, you know, again, backup off ball linebacker, like how much you're really going to see him during the season. I get it. But from just an overall excitement standpoint, I really like uh, this prospect. And I think whether it's next year, or maybe even the year, the year after that, I think eventually we could see Servasier become a really big part of this Buccaneers defense. Yeah, I think he's a future starter for the Bucs, whether yeah. that's, you know, Levante, David inevitably retiring at some point, which I know Bucks fans don't want to hear, or Devin White leaving in free agency. I think he could be the guy that steps up. Yeah. I mean, he moves way better than I think most people uh, realize. I noticed it at, at Bucks uh, rookie minicamp the other day. 
you mentioned the coverage. He had an awesome interception on the first day of practice. He dropped back in nice. coverage. The quarterback was looking for Payne Durham over the middle. He was running down the hash marks and he just popped up, uh, jumped, caught it, and you know, took it the other way. So Savasi Dennis is without question. Uh, someone on my radar. Another thing that really should be on your radar, of course, is Celsius Energy Drinks. You heard me talk about before where you can find them on the store locator. If you want to start getting them in bulk, um, go to Amazon, click on the subscribe and save, and uh, you can get them in bunches. I would recommend getting the variety pack because variety is the spice of life. And there's so many awesome flavors. Why set it yourself with uh, with just one? So yeah, Amazon, subscribe and save. Have it sent to your house or apartment every uh, week, month, quarterly, yearly. Just make sure you're drinking Celsius Energy Drinks, the official sponsor of the Peter Report podcast. All right, David, my last question to you. The over-under on wins for the Bucks this year is six and a half. Do you see yeah. that going over or under for Tampa Bay? I got to go over. We just did our way too early record projection. I call it a projection because I don't think we're we're smart enough yet to call it a prediction, right? So I call it a projection, whatever. <laughs> Semantics. Like I'm protecting myself is what I'm doing. Um, I projected 10 wins, man. I mean, look, I know there's some good in, good teams in the NFL, and I, maybe I'm overselling a little bit of this, this connection between, you know, uh, what Bruce Arians saw in Baker Mayfield, you know, what, three, four years ago. Uh, what Dave Canales saw in Baker Mayfield when the Seahawks pursued that trade. But I just, I, like I said, I feel like this isn't your run-of-the-mill new offensive coordinator, new quarterback relationship. Like I said, I feel like they have a little bit of a head start runway because of that desire to work with him in the past. They kind of already know the, the, the path they want to take with him. So uh, I have a little bit of confidence in that. Some of this is also... Uh, the Minnesota Vikings are frauds. They're not 13-win team. If you look at their production across the board, really, they're very average at best. And once they release Dalvin Cook um, and he signs with the Buccaneers, Dalvin's going to go crazy in week one. Rashad is going to celebrate the heck out of him and love it for him, but then he's going to take over for the rest of the year. Um, you know, Chicago Bears, a lot of their future hinges on Justin Fields. Very rarely do teams taking a quarterback number one overall. I know the Panthers traded up to take him number one overall, but you were within range to take him number one overall, which is the point. And you yeah. traded your best receiver and you didn't get better in the receiving room. Like, I don't have a lot of faith in the Carolina Panthers. The Atlanta Falcons, Desmond Ritter, average at best, I think, in, in this season. If it gets really bad and they turn to Taylor Heineke, I covered Taylor Heineke. I love Taylor Heineke. He's a great human being. Trust me, the Bucs can win that game. If that, if that comes out, I just, you know I mean? I look at a lot of these things, Jordan love with the green Bay Packers, like Jacksonville Jaguars can, can, uh, can, can Hollywood. I can't remember his name for some reason, right off the top of my head, but uh, can Hollywood do it two years in a row? I always say it's, it's really hard to have a really good season as an NFL quarterback. It's even harder to have two when now everybody sees you coming and knows what you're about. Like, there's just a lot of questions. There's, there's a lot of, I guess, kind of difficult matchups on this Buccaneers uh, schedule. But there's also a lot of question marks on these teams that the Buccaneers are facing. And as much as we're going to focus on the Bucs question marks and as much as yeah. the national media is going to tank the Buccaneers because of those question marks, these other teams got to solve these riddles too. And if these and these other teams have just as much an opportunity to fail at solving those riddles as the Buccaneers do. So I see a lot of teams or a lot of games. Uh, I think my win-loss range went from like eight wins, which obviously most people wouldn't be happy with, but it's still more than the, than the six and a half to 12 wins. Um, which I think 12 is the high end and probably the more unlikely, you know what I mean? But I think somewhere between eight and 12 is, is very realistic. Yeah, I have, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think 
the not only the fact that the NFC South is a weak division, but the AFC South is very weak and the NFC North. You, you can't tell me I, for everything you just said about the Vikings. You can't tell me the Packers are better with Jordan Love than with Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, a lot of people are riding the Detroit Lions right now. But to your point, the Bears were picking first until they traded it away. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm with you with with the weak divisions that they play against. Uh, you know, I see the Bucks at least splitting in almost all of those divisions. So if you split all of those, you're essentially getting six wins right then and there. And then, uh, or, you know, if you take advantage of the NFC South and you sweep the Falcons once, or you sweep the the Panthers, I see this team again, going eight and nine, nine and eight competing for the NFC South and just an overall poor division. But yeah, there are teams in worse situations than the box. They need to figure out quarterback. They clearly have a lot of obstacles, but to your point, they're not the only team with obstacles. Other other franchises got to work out a lot more stuff um, than the Bucks do. But, David, this has been great having you on. Thank you for joining us on today's show. Please just let everybody know uh, where they can find you. If you want to plug anything with your podcast and, and your writing, uh, please tell everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Twitter at dharrison82. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't tweet all that much. I don't know if I'm a very good follow, but if you want to follow me, I'll appreciate it. And certainly if you hit me up, I will respond uh, as soon as I can. I'm very, I'm very interactive. I'm just not very active on my own. So if I'm inspired, I, I, I respond pretty, uh, pretty regularly. So that's probably not going to help my cause, but locked on bucks five days a week, part of the locked on podcast network bucks game day. Uh, part of SI.com's fan nation. And uh, real quick, uh, I mean, I don't get paid to do it, but a shout out to Celsius as well. Pretty much kept the locked on house awake during Mobile Senior Bowl. I mean, you're, you know it, Maddie. Like, you're up early and you're up all night. Like, it's, 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 it's fun. And then but Tom it's Brady retires. And then the Tom Brady retires. Six. <laughs> listen, I ran into Jason Light. I'm not going to tell you what condition he was in, but I ran into Jason Light that the night prior. And now I'm like, Maybe I should have hung around a little. Maybe I could have. Maybe I could have gotten a little bit of an insight into this thing. But yeah, Celsius helped keep keep the uh, the locked on house uh, alive and awake uh, in Mobile. So we greatly appreciate them. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoy it. Uh, I know a lot of the Peter people do. Um, if you're new to PeterReport.com and the Peter Report podcast, uh, please follow us on our social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at Peter Report, and then our YouTube channel, which you're on right now, is Peter Report TV. Please like and subscribe. Helps with our algorithm. Helps more people find out about pewterreport.com. But once again, thank you to David Harrison for joining the show. A great conversation. We're going to have Josh Capo on tomorrow as we talk a little bit more about uh, the edge rushers and what's going on uh, in that area for the Bucks. So for David Harrison, I'm Matt Matera saying thanks everybody for watching. And we'll see you tomorrow for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out.